this morning we just want to um yeah this morning we're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of matthew uh in matthew 16 and so if you got your bibles there i believe the the actual scripture reference should be in the chat it's not i'm getting the so it's not but i'll i'll, I'll give you the reference and, and you can turn there if look there yourselves so it's matthew 16 um verse 13 and we're just going to read down to verse 20 so <clears throat> I'll read it, and I'll give you guys a moment to, to turn there as well. This is what, this is what uh, Matthew says. He says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. So <clears throat> just a, a couple things. There's two, two things I, I want us to sort of uh, reflect upon in, in, in looking at this text. Two things that uh, kind of stand out to me in, in reading this. The first one is this, is that, uh, is that what you make of Jesus is, is probably one of the most important things uh, about who you are. You see, at this, but this, this particular point in, in Jesus' ministry, that his name had been getting out there, uh, his reputation had been building, and lots of people had ideas about who Jesus actually was, whether you know, he was just a, a phenomenal teacher or just a, a really special rabbi, uh, a miracle worker. You know, he asks his disciples, he gives them you know, a quick you know, poll, you know, who are people saying that I am? And they, and they answer him, well, you know, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, um, uh, still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. It seems to be this general consensus that, well, whoever Jesus is, he's, he's clearly something special, whether or not this is, you know, John the Baptist, you know, back from the dead, or this is, you know, Elijah, um, you know, returned again. This is, you know, the Elijah that we were, we were waiting for to return, or, or at the very least to Jeremiah, or at least one of the prophets. There's something significant. There's something important. There's something special about this Jesus uh, that, that the people recognized. The people recognized that there was something special about who Jesus was. And, you know, that's not actually too different from the way people view Jesus today. It's not actually too different from, from the way most people view Jesus today. Most people are willing to acknowledge, most people are willing to acknowledge that to some degree that there's something going on with the person of Jesus. Maybe he's a good teacher. A good moral example. Maybe people are, are will, willing to even admit that he worked miracles, that, that, that he was even able to do those sorts of things. But is that enough? Is that enough to simply acknowledge that there's something different, something special going on with Jesus? Plenty of other religions acknowledge who Jesus is. In fact, it seems to be that, it seems to be that with, with you know, almost every other religion, they have to give some kind of explanation or, or some kind of accounting for you know, who Jesus was 
Um, they, they have to resolve. It almost feels like they're not even free to, <laughs> they're not free to just ignore him or pretend he doesn't exist or that he wasn't some, you know, this, this phenomenon that happened in, in, in history that, that they have to give an account for who he is. You know? So, for instance, Islam takes Jesus and, and reduces him to being just a prophet. You know, he, he's able to, he, he came with a message from, uh, came with a message from God, but, but that, it wasn't the final or fullest message, but he was just a prophet in, in the line of the prophets. Uh, Buddhism adopts Jesus in and calls him another Buddha or another awakened one, that, that, that this Jesus of Nazareth was simply one who had sort of become awakened to the divine uh, within him and, and and that he was just simply one in another line of, of Buddhas that had come along. Um, I remember ministering in India, and we were speaking with uh, one of the pastors there, and we were asking, you know, like, so, so when you're sharing Jesus with people, wh- what, do they, what do they think, you know? Um, because, you know, they'd been sharing stories about how people were quite hostile um, to people who were proselytized, people who were sharing the gospel. <clears throat> and, and he was saying that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people are happy to just kind of accept Jesus so long as so long as they can just add him in to the rest of the gods that they already worship. Um, where they get really upset is when you tell them that, that, no, you can only worship Jesus, that Jesus is the only true way, that, that, that Jesus is God, the only God, the most high God, and that all these other gods you've been worshiping are false gods. And, and so, so Hinduism is, is, is willing to accept Jesus in, but only so much as they're willing to accept that he is just simply one of many other hundreds of thousands of other gods that are out there that, that should be worshipped and should be attended to and, and these sorts of things. So, but every, every religion, every, um, yeah, every religion has to make an account for who Jesus is. But Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? As his disciples, who do they say that he is? Peter seems to answer for the group and he says, you are the Messiah. You see, there's a difference between acknowledging Jesus as special, acknowledging Jesus as a prophet, and acknowledging him as Messiah, acknowledging him as the Christ, acknowledging him as Lord. Because the moment you do, it becomes with implications. This is really important for us to understand. It's not enough for you to simply know the name of Jesus, not simply enough for you to to go, okay, Jesus was probably a good teacher. It's not enough to simply have those categories in your mind. He has to be to you the Messiah. He has to be to you the one who is saving you. He has to be to you the Lord of your life. If he's just a teacher, if he's just a good teacher, then then we can just pick and choose. We can just take what he teaches, you know, and we can, we can take it willy-nilly. Now, unfortunately, some Christians do just take willy-nilly what Jesus says. But, but if he's just a teacher, we should feel free to do that. There's plenty of other good teachers in the world, and we should, we should feel free to just pull from all those good teachers and sort of create our own philosophy of whatever we think is right. If that's all he is, is a good teacher. If he's just a prophet, well, we, we, we perhaps, you know, might be able to receive a message from, from God through him, but... But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he, he's not the Lord of our lives. We, we owe him no allegiance apart from, apart from that, even if he's just a prophet. But if he is my Messiah, if he is my Savior, well, that affects everything about how I live. If he is 
my Lord, that affects everything about who I am and how I live in this world. Because of Jesus' teaching, because of the claims and make it claims he makes about himself. Now I have to now reckon with his way of salvation. I'm not free to simply pick and choose. I'm not free to simply uh, add him in and, con- and make a conglomeration of, of him and, and Buddha and you know, Marcus Aurelius and, and what other, uh, other philosophies I might want to sort of cobble together. If Jesus is the Lord of my life, if Jesus is my Savior, then I am now seemingly obliged to live according to his way, his way that he gives to me. It matters very much who Jesus is to you. It matters very much who Jesus is to you. That's, that's, the, first, that's the first thing I just wanted us to meditate on from this text, is that it's not just enough to say that Jesus is special, or it's not just enough to give him a, 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 a token uh, appreciation or to give him a nod of approval that, that's, that he was important or, or that he was a prophet or he was a good teacher or a good moral example. He must be your Messiah. And if he is your Messiah, then there are implications that come with that. That's the, that's the first observation. The second observation I, I want us to sort of meditate upon this morning is when, uh, is when Jesus says to, to Peter, when he says, you know, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. The thing that strikes me about this particular passage, this particular verse, is that the revelation of Jesus being Messiah, of Jesus being the Christ, is not something that can simply be deduced by fleshly means. It's it's a revelation that actually has to come from the Father Himself. It's a revelation that actually has to come from God Himself to our hearts. Peter wasn't just kind of putting the pieces together on his own. This was a a revelation from the Father as to who Jesus really was. I mean, which raises an interesting point. When when did he get this revelation? Did he have it from the very beginning when, when, when Jesus is walking by the seaside and he calls Peter and Andrew out of the boat? Did they go, this is the Messiah? At this moment, they knew? Or did it come from this process of, of observing him, of listening to him, walking with him, being discipled by him, that the Spirit began to be at work in them to give them a greater revelation and understanding of who it was that was actually standing before them? I, I think... I think it, you know, it, just as an aside, this is important for us to remember when we are, when we are sharing Jesus with people. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, we, we want to bring people to a point of decision before they have that, that revelation of, of who Jesus really is. And I think, I think just if we're looking at this and, and, we're, and we're going, you know, like, you know, Peter starts following Jesus all the way back here in... In chapter 4. We're in chapter 16 at this point. He's, he's been following Jesus for a while, and, and it's unclear from the text when he actually receives this moment of revelation that he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And I want to just encourage you to 
encourage you that as you are witnessing, witnessing to your loved ones, your friends, your family, those who are in your workplace, even if it's somebody on the street, a stranger, whoever it is, I want to encourage you to, to simply be faithful in witnessing to them. Be faithful in loving them and trusting and trusting that the Spirit is going to be at work in their lives, that it's the Father who opens up their eyes, it's, it's the Spirit at work in their lives that, that opens up their eyes for that moment, that moment of revelation where they're actually coming to a place where they can see Jesus for who He really is, and they can then make that decision to follow after Him, to, to proclaim Him as Lord, to proclaim Him as Messiah for themselves. Sometimes we, sometimes, you know, especially... Um, I was going to say, you know, some, when, when, when a lot of Christians get into, say, apologetics, and, and I know this, this was the, the case for me when I, was, when I was a much younger Christian, was got into a lot of apologetics, and, and I just I found myself in all these discussions with people, arguing and debating, giving people reasons for why they needed to, to follow Jesus. And, and you look, I f- still feel like most of them were really good reasons. I, feel, I still feel like a lot of them are really good answers, a lot of really good things for people to ponder and to think about. But the reality is, but the reality is, is that unless somebody can come to that point of revelation, they receive it from the Father themselves. You can argue someone, you can even bring them to a point of decision where they're willing to acknowledge, at least at that point in time, that you've got them, that they have no other answer, and that they need to make a decision there on the spot. You, you may even be able to argue with them to that point. But if the only reason they're coming to Jesus is because of an argument that you've made, however good that argument might be, someone can just as easily come along with a counter-argument and argue them right back out of the kingdom. I want to encourage you to be faithful and patient with people, loving them and witnessing to them and allowing the Spirit to work. To work. But the point is, is that at somewhere along the way, somewhere in the midst of following Jesus, Peter received this revelation. Now, Peter didn't get the full revelation of of the kingdom. Peter didn't get the full understanding of what it actually meant to be a disciple of Jesus, to to be, um, what it fully meant for Jesus to be the Messiah and, and the kingdom that he was bringing about. Peter doesn't have that revelation, that full revelation just yet. And we know that he doesn't have that full revelation just yet because of how he behaves in the garden. When, when they come to arrest Jesus and Peter picks up the sword and chops off uh, the servant's ear, he still thinks that the, the, this kingdom that Jesus is inaugurating is going to be a kingdom that is fought for and won by violence, one that is going to be overthrowing the Romans and establishing uh, and, and establishing, uh, reestablishing the nation state, free from any sort of foreign occupier or foreign oppressor. He doesn't understand all that just yet, but he can still in that moment not acknowledge and know and understand that Jesus is the Messiah. And it came about from a revelation of the Father. And it came about in the process of following after Jesus. I just want to share, you, share with you why I've, I, I've, I felt, I felt to, to, to share around this passage here this morning. Because you see, I, I remember I had, this, I had this experience with the Lord one time. Uh, it, was, it was a time of, of I say turmoil, or is, it, it, I was really struggling with, you know, sort of like identity and, and you know, who, who, who am I supposed to be, what am I supposed to be doing, all these sorts of things. And, and you know, in my frustration, I, I went to the Lord and I'm like, God, you know, I need you to tell me. 
I need you to tell me what it is I'm supposed to be doing. Where, where, does, where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? Who am I supposed to be? All these questions about, God, what is your plan for my life? So much confusion, so much, you know, whatever, right? And I remember I was, I was sitting in my office, and I was just praying, and I was just asking the Lord, and I felt his presence. I felt his presence come over me. And I was expecting, what I was expecting in that moment was for him to begin to speak to my heart about plans that he had for me. What I was expecting from him is, is for him to begin to tell, tell me who I am, who he wanted me to be, the things he wanted me to do. But instead, instead what, I felt, the God, I felt God's presence come over me, and, and instead what came into my mind, what I felt like the Spirit spoke to my heart was this verse. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And if you've ever felt God speak to you, you, you'll, you'll understand the experience of what it's like when God begins to give you revelation or deeper insight into something. That sometimes it can come like a, 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 a rush of <laughs> a rush of, of thoughts, or, or, or it's it's like too many too many things to kind of you know unpack all at once. But but it but it was it was a sense that who do you say that I am? But also who do you think that I am? And you see, I, I was at this place of, of of lacking vision. I was confused. Wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing or wasn't sure what I was supposed to be or who I was supposed to be or anything, anything like that. And God didn't come and answer my questions. But God came and asked a question of me. Who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? God's concern wasn't to tell me what I was supposed to do or who I was supposed to be in that moment. His concern was that I remember who he is. And, 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 and I'll explain why this, is, why this is so important, why this is so significant. You see, because it, it, here's, 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 here's an analogy, right? We, we were on holidays one time, and, and we were, I think it was Port Macquarie, and we were down at the beach, and my, my middle son, Archie, uh, we, we're, we're in the surf, and we're swimming, we're playing, and all sorts of stuff. And of course, you know, he's about, you know, yay high. And we're in the surf. So, you know, just like the, the, the shallows for me, but for him, the waves are kind of up to his face. And, and every time a wave would come in, he would panic. He would panic. He'd be like, dad, 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 dad. You know, and I would pick him up and, and I would carry him over the wave and I'd put him back down, his feet on the sand, which is in water about this deep. Like, in, he was never in danger. He was never in danger. And I began to say to him, because, you know, he's like, I, I just, I wanted him to stop panicking and stop worrying and just have fun and enjoy the experience of being at the beach. And I kept saying to him, Achi, Achi, if daddy is here, you have nothing to worry about. And, and, and he, I was like, say it, say it. When daddy is near, I have nothing to worry about. And I had him say it, but then the next wave would come in and he would panic all again. And I would pick him up and I would take him over the wave and I'd put him back down on the sand where, where, you know, where he could stand perfectly fine. You see, he would say the words, when daddy is with me, I'm safe. When daddy is with me, I'm safe. But the moment a wave would come, 
The panic in his heart, the panic on his face betrayed that even though the profession of his mouth was, when daddy is here, I'm safe, his reaction to the wave says that that's not what he really believed. That's not what he really believed. You see, and we're like that with God. We're like that with Jesus so often. We're like Peter. We're like Peter who here in chapter 16 will say, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commends that profession of faith. But then when, when Jesus is betrayed, when he's carried off in handcuffs, when, when, when he's being tried by the Sanhedrin and Peter, Peter is alone, and he's in a moment of doubt, and he's in, in, in confusion. They say, hey, weren't you, weren't you with Jesus? And he denies him three times. You see, that fear, that fear that was in his heart, betrayed that even though his profession was good, he didn't really know that he knew. He didn't really know, no, if that, if that expression makes sense to you. There's a way of knowing something without knowing, knowing something. That revelation hadn't yet worked its way deep enough into his heart. And it's like that with my son. He can say, when daddy's here, I'm safe. All he wants. But when that wave comes and fear strikes his heart, it just shows that that, the truth of that revelation, even though he was never in danger, our reactions often betray the state of our hearts. The reality is, I think this morning, God wants us to remember who He is. You see, it's not enough to simply say, Jesus is Lord. It's not enough to simply say with your mouth the right things. And we all know the right things to say. We, we, We come to church, well, not this Sunday, but we come to church most Sundays and we know how to act Christian enough around people when we're at church. We know how to, we learn the Christianese. We learn how to say the right things. We learn how to, you know, we learn how to make sure that everybody knows that we're, we're, we're Christians and, and, and we're full of faith and we're believing and we're, you know, all these sorts of things. But, but, but when the waves come, when, when trials come, when stress comes, when all these sorts of things come and, and our reaction is not the same as maybe what it should be, it just it reveals our heart that, that that profession hasn't gone down deep enough yet. Now, I'm not saying that's, that means that you're not a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying that it means you're not a Christian, okay? That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that what God wants us to know and what He wants us to understand is who He is, who He really is. And it's the kind of knowledge, it's kind of revelation that you can only get after walking with him for a time. It's that kind of revelation that you can only get when you've been walking with Jesus, when you've allowed him to disciple your heart, when you've allowed him to disciple the ways of your life, and you've walked with him long enough that you know him. Just like, just like developing a genuine and true friendship with somebody. You know, you might meet somebody for the first time and you might like them. They might be cool to hang out with, but it's really over time that you get to know their character. And once you know their character, you begin to trust them. And, 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 it, become, and it can come to a point, if you've got friends with good character, you, you, you know that like, when somebody comes along and tells you something about this person, you're just like, that, that just doesn't line up. 
I know this person's character. It's the same with Jesus. It's the same with walking with him. When you know him, when you allow the revelation of who he is to go down deep into your heart, when you take seriously the question, who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? When you allow the truth of who he is to go down deep into your heart, it's from that place we begin to get the questions, we begin to get the answers to the questions of who we are. What our purpose in life is. It's, it's from that place, it's from that place of, of surrender, it's from that place of childlike faith, it's from that place of knowing our Father in heaven, it's from that place of knowing our friend Jesus. It's from that place of, of being intimate and close with the Holy Spirit that we begin to get vision for the future. We begin to trust Him more and more so that when we go through times like times we're going through right now, times of uncertainty, times of upheaval, times of transition, times that can be incredibly disorientating to us, it's in times and in moments like these that it reveals how deep that truth has actually gone down deep into our hearts. And I don't, say that as, I don't say that to you as somebody who feels like I have that revelation fully grasped just yet. I want to know him more. I want that revelation to be a fuller part of who I am. And so this morning... This morning, I simply just have this question for you. Do you know who he is? And is the revelation of who he is affecting how you live? You know, if, if, if you're suffering from anxiety, and you've been, you've been anxious, there's no condemnation for you because of that, okay? I, I don't want to condemn you because of that. But God doesn't want you to be anxious. He doesn't want you to be anxious for anything. You know, when Jesus says, he says to his disciples, you know, you know, consider the birds of the air. They don't, they don't work, or they, you know, and yet the Lord feeds them. Consider the lilies of the field. They don't spin or toil, and yet the Lord clothes them with beauty. And aren't you more valuable than those birds? Aren't you more valuable than the flowers that are in the field? Don't you know that your Father in heaven is going to take care of you? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will add all these things to you. You can trust him. You can rely upon him. What our challenge is, what our challenge is, is allowing the truth of who he genuinely is to be received into our hearts. You see, in the garden, that was the strategy of the snake. The strategy of the snake was not to just come in and just start spewing lies. The strategy of the snake was to come in and to start driving a wedge. Start driving a wedge of trust between Adam and Eve and God. He says, did God really say, actually, I'm going to turn to it now. Um, 
so we can so we can read it together. Um, Genesis three. It says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not surely, you will not die. Sorry, I'm, I'm remembering the King James. Surely you will not die. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What's he done there? Well, he's told her the truth, but it's kind of like a half-truth, or it's like a, a truth that, that, that's, that's sort of couched in such a way that, that it doesn't actually give the dramatic downside. His goal there is to drive a wedge between Eve and her maker is to drive a wedge of trust, to get her to doubt. Maybe God's holding out. Maybe God is actually afraid that you would become like him. Maybe, 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 God, maybe God's tricking you. Maybe, maybe God is, has got you really deceived. Maybe he just want to, wants to just control you. Maybe God doesn't really care about you at all. As I'm saying those things, you might recognize the, the, those thoughts in your own heart. When you've gone through seasons of trial, when you've gone through seasons of, of, of distress or, or, or upheaval or, or a transition or any of these sorts of things, you might have had those same thoughts. Maybe God actually doesn't care about me. Maybe I'm not important to him. But all those things are, are lies from the enemy designed to drive a wedge between you and the God who loves you. So the question this morning is, who is he? Who is this Messiah? Who is this revelation of God? What is his character? What is he like? Who is he and what, what is his disposition towards me? What is his disposition towards us? That's the question we got to have in our minds. And the answer is he loves us. He cares for us. He demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, he died for us. What greater love than there is this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. If you want any other testimony about his character, about who he is and how he feels towards you, look to the cross. Look to who he is. Look to what he has done. Can he give you any clearer demonstration? Anything less than that is a lie from the enemy. He does care about you. You are important to him. He bought you with his life. And the reason why this is so important, that we have this in the, in the forefront of our minds and let this truth go down deep into our hearts, is because if we cannot, if we cannot see him for who he really is, who he has revealed himself to be, if we don't learn to come to that place of childlike trust where we know who our Heavenly Father is and we know His plans for us, we know that He cares for us, we know that He loves us, we know that He has a great hope and a future for us, we know that He, he doesn't simply just let us stole, uh, 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 stumble, he, that he doesn't just let us fall, He doesn't forget about us or discard us. He has never been that way. Because if we don't have that revelation down deep in our hearts, we allow the enemy to come and to twist our minds. And so that when God does come, and when he does speak 
truth to you, you won't be able to hear it. Before we can even begin to let him shape who we are, we have to know who he is. Otherwise, I won't trust him when he speaks the truth to me from his perspective, from his divine, all-knowing perspective. I won't be sensitive to sin when he highlights things in my life that are not just displeasing to him, but are destroying me and bringing about destruction in my life. Because he might speak to me about that, but because, you know, I don't know if he really has my best interests at heart, I might just hold on to that sin because... Maybe, maybe, maybe he just wants to take it away from me as a, as a sick joke. But if I trust him, if I genuinely trust him and I know who he is, he can take anything, and I know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be for my good. And I know that he has better things for me. If I don't know him, and I don't trust him, I won't even be in a position to believe him when he tells me things about myself and the plans that he has for me that don't already align with the view I have of myself. The God of this age has spent a lot of time and energy and resources on twisting your mind and who you think you are. He's degraded you through sin. He's defiled you. He has corrupted you. And some of you are not even in a place to genuinely believe the things he has for you. Because you have not yet allowed the truth of who God really is down into the very depths of your soul. There's still parts of your heart that are harboring lies. There's still parts of your heart that are in rebellion that wouldn't even accept that truth if he told you. He's patient with you and he loves you. But he wants you to know who he really is this morning. He wants you to know his love, his mercy, his compassion, his gentleness. He wants you to know that he does have plans for your life. He wants you to know that you are so incredibly valuable to him. And not because of just what you can do. He has put gifts and abilities into you. And he hasn't just done that so that you can serve him. So that you're some kind of like tool in his hand. This is not some sort of utilitarian approach to humanity. We're only as useful to God as, as we are actually useful to do stuff. No, he loves you. He cares for you. Because you are his son. Because you are his daughter. Because you are his child. And the love that he has for you is not based on anything that you've done. It's not based on anything that you could do. He loves you because that's the outflow of who he is towards you. He loves you simply because of who you are. And he wants to bring you to that place of wholeness. He wants to bring you to that place of healing. And so maybe this week you need to spend some time you need to spend some time just sitting with Jesus and letting him tell you who he is. Maybe you need to spend some time going through the Gospels 
Maybe you need to spend some time just, just going and reminding yourself about his promises. What he intends to do for his people. You see, for Peter, it was in this process. It was in this process of walking with Jesus that the Father gave him this greater revelation of who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. I don't think that ever stops. You know, we, we, we have the supreme privilege. We have the supreme privilege. We, we know the end of the story already. We know that what Jesus did on the cross. You know, in our Western culture, we're, we're raised on this tradition. We know and we understand what Jesus has done on the cross. We don't, we don't, we don't have those same struggles that Peter would have had. Watching, watching the, the, the one he's proclaimed as Messiah being crucified now, the one who, who he was expecting to save and to restore the kingdom to Israel, is now hanging on a cross, dying, as one who, in his mind, cursed by God. One who hangs upon a tree is cursed by God. We don't have that struggle. We know the end of the story. We, 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 we seem to trust it more implicitly. But has that revelation gone down deep into your heart? And as you walk with Jesus, as you draw close to him, I believe God is going to give you deeper and greater revelation of who he is. That Paul's prayer for the Ephesians would be fulfilled. That you would have this growing understanding of the depth and the riches of the inheritance that is in Jesus Christ for you. So I'm going to pray. And um, Chance, if you want to come back and, and just lead us in a, a song of worship. But I want to encourage you this week to draw close to him. Especially if you're especially if you're struggling in the season, which I know a lot of people are. You know. It's from that place of closeness to him that we actually allow him to speak to our hearts. And I genuinely believe that as you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. And he may not give you all the answers you want, but he will speak peace to your heart. And you will know that it is well with your soul because you know him. And you know him more and more and more as time goes on. So let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> I pray that you would give us a greater revelation of who you are. That we would learn to trust implicitly just as much as we know the sun is going to rise tomorrow that you are for us and not against us. And that when waves come our way, we know that you, Father, are capable of lifting us and carrying us over those waves and bringing us down safely on the other side. May we know your goodness to the depths of our hearts so that even when we experience things that are not good, when we're experiencing things that are evil, we would know that they're not from you. This is not what you have for us, but you are going to take these things 
you're going to make them into something good. You're going to make these experiences and these trials into something good. So Holy Spirit, I pray you just begin to work on our hearts.